know some of you, it's your favorite part of the morning is listening to Joel do the announcements, but I'll do my best. Um, it looks like we only have two, so it's an easy morning. Ladies Bible study on the bottom, Wednesday, 6.30. It's again going to be at Liz Adams' house in the Point Dew Club. So if you're a woman, please show up to that. I hear it's a great time. And then coming up in a couple weeks on June 12th is the SOS dinner. If you want to go help out, have a heart for the homeless and want to serve them and just be a part of that community, I know they'd love to have you. And uh, especially in the summer, they would love to have your help when the Pepperdine kids aren't around as much. So um, put that on your calendar just to help out with that if you can. Is that everything? Anything else? All right, uh, without further ado, our scripture today comes from Jonah chapter 3, and it's verses 1 through 10. And it reads, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly a great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a, pro a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented for the, of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Please pray with me. Um, Lord, we just thank you so much for another Sunday, another, another morning to just come and gather and, and dive into your word, God. Um, as we continue to study Jonah, I pray that you just bless the word this morning, that it can just bring truth and bring um, inspiration, Lord, and just bless us this morning as we go from here, God. I pray over Pastor Kelly that he just comes and, and speaks your truth to us, and we can just learn with, with open hearts and open minds, God, and just to take in all that he has for us, God. Um, thank you again for, for who you are and what you do for us every week, Lord. In your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Everyone doing all right this morning? Everyone have your Bible this morning? If you don't, we have the blue, uh, the blue bulletin. We are uh, continuing our study this morning on Jonah, and we are at Jonah chapter 3. We've identified the theme of Jonah as a rebel reformed by grace, something that we can all identify with. We all have certain areas of our lives that are 
more difficult to give over to God that we want to hold on to. And it took, it took God working in a supernatural way to reform Jonah and to get him to go to this city called Nineveh that God wanted to show mercy to. <clears throat> and so this morning, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to explore the topic of spiritual awakening, of spiritual revival, of God breaking into our lives. The city of Nineveh is referred to many times as a great city, one of the most um, powerful important cities of the world at this time, and God wants to go into the city. He wants to break into the lives of the people in the city, and Jonah has the shortest, most effective sermon we've probably ever heard, and maybe, maybe even the most, maybe not even the best, maybe you could even say maybe the worst, maybe the, the shortest, worst most effective sermon ever. 40 days or you're all going to die. That was his sermon. God showing his mercy, showing his love to this city, extends grace to the city. And he loves the city. It's important for us just to pause and remember that the gospel goes to all people. Jonah was a stubborn man, a strong-willed man, who had decided in his own heart, his own life, that he was not going to be a part of God's mission, his ministry to the people in Nineveh until God works in his life. So Jonah is a rebel whose life has been changed by God's grace. And so this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at just the very beginning of chapter 3 and look at some broad, necessary principles or truths for God breaking into our lives. And then we're going to look somewhere else in the Bible and look at a specific narrative, a specific story of where God breaks into a man's life and see if we can look at that and see what we can learn about how God wants to work in our lives, how he wants to reform us to make him more like Jesus. One of my favorite authors is a man and pastor, preacher, is a man named Sinclair Ferguson. I believe he's a Scottish man, and um, there's something unique about just listening to a man preach with a Scottish accent, but he wrote a book called um, Man Overboard on Jonah, and I've been reading that for the last several weeks, but he identifies this, this portion of scripture as a unique, a unique work of God, where God is initiating, intervening in the lives of people, and so it's in that context that we will ask the question, is that needed today? Is a spiritual awakening needed in your life, in the life of our church? Is a revival needed? Is there a need <clears throat> to, to have a deepening, a deepening love, a deepening understanding of how much God loves us, a deepening of our love for Him? One person defined revival this way, a renewed interest after indifference or decline. A renewed, a renewed interest after indifference or decline. 
Another way to define it would be a move of God's Spirit, which brings an abhorrence of personal sin. That's the negative. Where you are more in tune, more aware of your personal sin, of your flaws. And the positive, a renewed, deeper understanding of how much God loves you. That those two truths penetrate your heart in a more deep, meaningful way. Doing a little bit of reading this week, a little bit of research about this, and um, here's a couple things that I found. If we adjust for the population rate or the population growth, there are half as many churches in America today as there was in 1900. Between three and four thousand churches close up every year. Pack up the tent. Pack the speakers away, put the chairs away, never come back again. Three to four thousand. And that would include things like home churches that start and then they decline and fall away. 3,500 people leave the church every single day. They've had enough, they've been burnt, they've been abused, and they walk away to never come back or possibly return years later. Church giving is down. The average is about 2.4% of what people give, which is less than during the Great Depression years. During the Great Depression years, people had far less money, and they gave more than we have today. We struggle with spiritual apathy, a loss for a hunger to, to just know God. To be able to say in your heart that I want to know what God is like. That that is an a intense desire in your life. A hunger for God's word. To think about it. To meditate on it. To memorize it. To live it out. Spiritual apathy. Spiritual laziness. Spiritual contentment in a negative sense, that you're just very content with the Bible verses you learned in third grade and the stories you learned in fourth grade in Sunday school, and you've not deepened your understanding of those stories since that time. Spiritual compromise, allowing for little compromises in our lives, little lies to save a few dollars, little lies to save face. Spiritual compromise includes things like enjoying gossip more than preserving and protecting unity. Spiritual compromise would include things like spending your money, loving and getting excited about spending money on yourself more than helping others. And so as, as I've thought through this week, there is a, a need, a desire for a spiritual awakening in my own heart, my life, for our family, for our church, that we would just be more in tune to God's Spirit working in our lives, that there would be a spiritual hunger for His Word, for His presence, to know Him. I do believe it's accurate to say that we are in desperate need for God to break into our lives. And so here's where we will start. 
chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And we'll stop here just for a second. The word of the Lord came. This probably happens about every single day in my life. I'll tell the boys to go do something, and they won't do it. Or they don't do it. Here's what, I, here's what I've never done before. I've never said to myself, huh, I think I need to call the ear doctor. They must not hear me. I, I've never done that. Because I know they hear me, and for a variety of reasons, they just choose not to do it. I know that they audibly hear what I'm saying. But there's so many distractions. There's so many fun cartoons. There's so many balls to hit. There's so many games to play. There's so many things to do that just gets pushed out. And I'm not sure that we are all too different when we hear the word of God. Do you listen? Listening is, listening is, that is, it's a lost art. It's going away. And I'm, Trying not, I'm trying to be honest and evaluate and I, as far as just my own life and, and being a teacher. And there's always this very interesting dynamic that happens. When you want your students to listen, they talk. When you want them to share their opinions, they won't talk. It's like, wait, wait, wait. It's all backwards, okay? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord has come to us. We have God's word. He's speaking to us. And part of the reason, you know, people, um, there is a disconnect between church and God working in their lives. You, you have to believe, you have to expect that God is speaking, that he is speaking through his word, that his word is alive, that it's true, that it can penetrate your life, that it can have a, an honest and meaningful impact in your life. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he listened. Are we a church that listens to God, that listens to his word, that our ears, it's not an auditory problem, it's an attitude problem, it's a heart problem. There are so many different messages, everyone's got something to say. We play a game um, at our eighth grade retreat occasionally, where you'll break up into two teams. And there will be 15 or 20 eighth graders in each team. And the object is to get one person from that team through a maze while everyone else is yelling at you. And there's only one voice that you're supposed to listen to. So the object is you're screaming as loud as you can, trying to override the one voice of the person on your team. And it's very interesting. There's so many voices. There are so many messages. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God is speaking to us this morning through his word. Came to Jonah. Came to one man. I came across this. This, was, this is back from my college years, all right? George Liddell wrote this. And I found this after looking for a long time yesterday. I don't know when this was written, but this stuck with me from 1993, I think it was. And he said this. Give me a man of God. One man whose faith is master of his mind, and I will right all wrongs and bless the name of all mankind. Give me a man of God, one man 
whose tongue is touched with heaven's fire, and I will flame the darkest hearts with high resolve and clean desire. Give me a man of God, one man, one mighty prophet of the Lord, and I will give you peace on earth, brought with a prayer and not a sword. Give me a man of God, one man, true to the vision that he sees, and I will build your broken shrines and bring the nations to their knees. There is a desperate need for leaders, for spiritual leaders who will endure suffering, who will endure hardship, but have given their lives in wholehearted obedience to Jesus Christ. And this is the life of Jonah, a rebel reformed by grace. And this is why Jonah is so easy to identify with. There are parts of his life that he said no to God until God's grace intervened in his life. So just some general truths before we turn to somewhere else. Are we listening? Are we listening? Next, God did amazing things. God changed the city with one man, one man of God. Number three, The last part of verse 1 says this, a second time, a second time, God gives Jonah another chance. That is the nature of God. If you want to know about something about what God is like this morning, he is the God who gives you all, gives us all a second chance. Deeply flawed people in need of a second chance. That's what I tell the boys on the baseball team. They just struck out looking. I said, the best thing about baseball is you get another chance. You get to try again. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that God gives us all another chance. That's who he is. He's the God of a second chance. And so he goes, he walks a long distance to the city called Nineveh, and he gives this very short, sweet message. He says, that there will be a time of judgment on this city unless people repent. And they do, as the story goes. And so this morning, we're going to turn to Genesis here in just a second. If God is going to break into our lives, we have to understand that he wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to us. That he has something to say. And let's do this for at this time. Now, turn in your Bible to uh, Genesis chapter 32. And what we're going to do just for the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to look at different places in the Bible where God has intervened in people's lives. Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22, is the story of where Jacob wrestles with God. Genesis chapter 32. And what we'll see here is what happens if God breaks into your life. What, what things can we identify in this story here when God breaks into your life. So three things really quick, and then I'll, we'll explain them. Number one, it happens alone. When God breaks into your life, it's a personal thing. When God breaks into your life, it's personal. Number two, it's for a blessing. And number three, God breaks into your life at the point of brokenness or the point of weakness. 
So here's the story. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 says this. The same night he arose and took his two wives, that's Jacob, two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. So he took his family across the river. Verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him. Then he said to him, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. The life of Jacob, up to this point, is a pattern of just problems, of things going on in his life, just unwise choices of deception, passive-aggressive behavior, always looking to make the right deal, trying to scam and manipulate people to get his way. And this event marks a turning point in his life. The story of Jonah and Nineveh is a wide-scale city event. This story here of Jacob and God is a personal one-on-one -on -one event where God breaks into his life. God breaks into our lives to establish himself as the center of our lives. So, number one, God becomes real to you when it's personal. God becomes real to you when it's personal. God can be cultural, God can be social, God can be intellectual, God can be emotional. But if God is not personal, something significant is missing. The story, the story is very interesting. Um, earlier this week, I was at, in Santa Monica at REI, and I picked up something, and I was just walking the store, and they had a, a picture of a woman, looked like somewhere in Utah, wearing the REI gear and doing some pose of, like, Eastern religion, like getting her balance thing going and getting her little zen and getting her peace going and stability. And I, thought, I saw the picture, and I thought, you're never going to see, like, a picture in REI of someone, like, holding a Bible and, like, teaching, but you can have um, someone getting their, their center balance thing going. Here's what's interesting about this. Christianity does not promise you balance. Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob fights with God. Jacob, through the night, I, um, I was never a high school wrestler. I never did any, I, it was the basketball team kind of thing. But I do wrestle with my boys. And I do know that I can last for about five to ten minutes, and we're all hot and sweaty and we're tired. 
I do know that in high school, many of my friends were wrestlers, and they were probably some of the most disciplined, hardworking, fit athletes in high school. Because wrestling is grueling. Jacob wrestles with God for hours. Christianity does not promise a calming center peace. It does not promise serenity now. It does not promise that life will be perfect and easy and offer stability just the way you want it. This is the difference between something that's personal, something that's cultural, something that's intellectual, something that's social, something that's emotional. Part of the reason why I believe, and there's evidence to back this up, that people leave churches, it's never become personal. It's a social, emotional connection. And we have this at our own church. I mean, we, you know, not as much now, but even during the school year, we are probably 80% single people that are um, amazingly fit and attractive and healthy. It's a very social, fun place to be. Very fun. You can meet lots of nice people. We've got good musicians, great songs, and you can hear a sermon once in a while that you like, and you can say, nice, that was a very nice sermon. Thank you. And, and we can go to Lily's and, and then go play. It's very social. It's very fun. But what's going to happen someday? A lot of you are going to leave, and you're going to go back to church somewhere else. I don't know where. And the church might be filled with people who are 65 or 70, and you're going to be like, this is lame, I'm out. The reason is because your attitude towards Christianity, your attitude towards church is just social. It meets my social needs. It's never become personal. It's never become your own. It happens um, even families. You just you go through the motions, raise in a Christian family, and unless it's become personal, Unless it's become internalized, unless you've made it your own, it hasn't become real. That's why people, people will say things, and this has happened even in our own church. Why are, why are people, young people, sexually active, come to church regularly, and they're making those kinds of choices? The answer is, God has never become personal to you. God is your social fun club agent. He's your emotional connection. God makes you feel emotionally good about yourself. The story of Jacob begins when Jacob was left alone with God. Not God and you and mom and dad, not God and you and your boyfriend or girlfriend or you and your spouse but alone with God. If God is going to break into your life, if there's going to be change in your life, if there's going to be a reform that takes place in your life, it always starts with you and God alone. Not you and what God can give you, but what God can say to you honestly. Spiritual awakening begins with you and God alone. Next, we see 
that God becomes real to you when you go to Him for a blessing. And this is the story as they're wrestling. We see here the progression of uh, that Jacob begins to understand what's happening. Uh, verse 24 says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So it's nighttime, they're wrestling during the dark. He says, then he says, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. What does this mean? This is interesting and it's actually very significant. I won't let you go until you bless me. The idea here happened, even happened this morning. We're getting ready for church, and um, one of the things I have the boys do to tire the dog out is have them go in the backyard and hit baseballs, or tennis balls all over the backyard. And it, it, it helps having a young son. So Cade, here's what, he's in the back, and he says, hey, Dad, watch me hit this one. Watch me hit this one. He wants me to bless him. He wants words to say, boy, good hit. That's what he's looking for. He wants approval. He wants a good job. And what the sweetest thing, one of the sweetest things about being a parent is when your kids are little, that's what they say. Hey, watch me. Watch me do this, Dad. Hey, Mom, watch me shoot this. I can do this. Watch, watch me shoot this hoop or whatever. And as you get older... The transition begins to happen. And it's not as much mom and dad, but you seek a blessing or you seek approval from your peers. When you're a teenager, mom and dad don't matter as much. It's your peers. If you're an athlete, it's your coach. If you're in school, applying for grad school, it's whether or not you get accepted to the next level. But your job, an interview. Um, I can remember when I applied for uh, the teaching job that I have now, and I had to teach a lesson before I was hired, when you're done teaching, what do you want the, your, the boss to say, the principal to say? You want them to say, that was really good. You want a blessing from them. Very deep within all of us to have the affirmation or the approval of other people. And what happens, unfortunately, in the story of Jacob is we see him for his whole life looking for that in other areas. Remember the story of Rachel, the beautiful woman? Wealth, family, a wife, all of these things looking for a, bless, a blessing in his life, looking for approval, looking for significance, looking for meaning, like trying to find something you can build your life on. And Jacob, up until this time, up until this point in his whole life, it's just been a series of mistakes. And so finally, he's wrestling with God, he's alone with God, and he says to him, he cries out to him, God, bless me, and I won't even let you go. Another story of desperation similar to Jonah. I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. The temptation for all of us is to have those things that we that we value, that are even good things in our lives, that we look for those things to take the place of God in our lives, become the ultimate things in our lives. The last thing that we see here in the story is that God meets us at our brokenness. Jacob knows that something is 
unique about this person when they're wrestling for hours. And finally, at the point, uh, verse 25 says that it's an interesting series of words, too. The wrestling and this man, God, just reaches out and touches Jacob's hip and put it out of joint. So he's wrestling against a man who's going toe-to-toe with until he knows that there's some power that's not being used. It's almost like me wrestling with my boys, letting them kind of get me until I say I've had enough, and then I exert the manpower upon them and say, okay, don't forget, I'm, I'm still older and stronger than you. And that time is going away with Chase. He's getting older. But he's wrestling with, this, with, with God here until this point happens. So we see this progression where he's wrestling with God. God touches him. He says the man he's wrestling with must go away because the sun is coming up and no man has seen God's face in the light. And it ends here where the, the recognition, verse 29 says, Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it you're asking my name? And basically God is saying, You know who I am. You know who I am now. And it was there where God blessed him. God becomes real to you at your point of brokenness. One way to think about this, this stuck with me this week, is this, that Christians, we all dance with a limp. We all dance with a limp. That there is a joy in our life that comes through Christ, but our strength, your strength to live out the Christian life is based on weakness, on your dependence upon him, of holding on to God during times of your brokenness, of your weakness. It's a powerful story here that shows us that God is not to be manipulated with. He's not, be, not to be used as a toy, not to be used as a way to make you feel good about yourself, but God is to be worshipped. God is only worshipped through brokenness. God works, God breaks into your life when you're alone with him. God breaks into your life to bless you. God breaks into your life to meet you at that place of brokenness. A.W. Pink, one pastor, wrote this. He said, Jacob was not wrestling with this man to obtain a blessing. Instead, the man was wrestling, the man God, was wrestling with Jacob to gain some object from him. As to what this object is, the best commentators agree. It was to reduce Jacob to a sense of nothingness to cause him to see what a poor, helpless, worthless creature he was. It was to teach us, through him, the all-important lesson that in recognized weakness, there lies our strength. You've got to see your weakness, your brokenness, as a place of strength. That that's where God will meet you. If you have your Bible, and we'll conclude here in just a minute. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> says this. Christ redeemed us all from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us 
from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The Bible, the Bible always lives out, illustrates, shows us how we're to live through Christ's example. It was through Christ's weakness that he gave us life. It was through Christ's brokenness, through his death on the cross, that he had victory. One last verse to illustrate this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Christian life naturally and easily falls into apathy, into compromise, into self-centeredness. The story of Jonah is a story about a man whose life has been changed by grace. He goes to Nineveh, shares the message, not that God loves you and has a wonderful life and your life is going to be amazing. No, the message was that there is accountability for how we live our lives. But at the core of that, at the core of that is love. Here's what I mean. If you were to go to the doctor, and this actually, a friend of mine told me a story this week about this. A friend, a friend of a friend went to the doctor, struggled many years with alcohol, and the doctor said to him, stop drinking now, today, right now, or you are going to die within a couple of months. You need a liver transplant. You will not get one unless you are sober. Is that a loving message or is that a judgmental, self-righteous, arrogant attitude that he said? How dare he say that to me? Why? Why can we receive that from a doctor as if we would say, thank you for what you're telling me. You're trying to save my life. The message is, you've got cancer, here's what you need to do. Who do you think you are to tell me that? That's rather arrogant of you. At the heart of who God is, is a God who loves people, who cares about people, who wants to give his grace to people. So when he intervenes in our life, when he becomes personal to you, that means he gets to rearrange the furniture of your life. It would bother. It would bother all of us. It would bother me if you came to my house and said, I don't like your couch today. I'm going to move it there. I don't like the way you've done this, this room. I'm going to move stuff around. I'd be like, get out. It's my house. I'll do it however I want. Right? Listen, that desire is so strong within all of us. It's my house. It's my life. When God becomes personal... You give him access to move things around in your house. How you live your life with purity. How you live your life with integrity. How you spend your money. How you treat people. The things you say. When God becomes personal, things will change. When you understand that when God wants to bless you, that he wants to be the center of your life, it's because he loves you because he wants to be a blessing to you to make your life to make your life full as Jesus said that he came to give you life 
to make your life complete. The beauty of the gospel is that he meets you at your place of brokenness, the place where we all need to be met with God. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that if, that if we've kept you at a distance, we've been coming to church for years, but we've always kept you at a distance, I pray this morning that you would become personal to us, that you would become real, that we would listen to you, that we would see you as our loving Heavenly Father the one who wants to bring blessings into our life, the one who wants to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's broken, that you would meet them this morning at that place where they're hurting the most. Thank you that you are living, omnipotent, holy, loving Father. I pray that you'd have your hand upon this place, a place of holiness, where flawed people are learning and loving you and seeking to follow you every moment of our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.